0: We're up to Parashat Shav, L'Parashat, and we're learning this for the of and we're starting from the beginning of the Parashat with the Ber Adonai, El Moshe LeMor, Shav Et Aharon vet Banab demor. So the Torah is commanding Aharon and his children. After all, they are the Kohanim. And what are they being commanded to do? Zot Torah There's a special korban. It's called the korban Ola. We learned it that earlier, that's the korban that's brought on a daily basis. It's twice a day. Now we're gonna talk about the uh, afternoon one. Hiya, al ala kol So this is the olah that stays on the flame of the Mizbayah the entire night. So it burns the whole night until the morning. And the fire of the Mizbeyach shall be kept aflame. Okay, now we need to explain this pasuk over here with Rashid. So first, when it comes to commanding Aharon about the laws of the Mizbeyach, he uses the word Tzav. She says sav ela la ziruz, that whenever you use the word sab, which means a commandment, it's actually a, um, a language that is um, used to urge somebody. It's a strong language when you want to convince or impress upon somebody, like I said, to urge them to do it. Miyad, again, for the immediate moment and for the future generations. So whenever we see the word "tsab" uh, in the Torah, so we know that uh, it takes a little extra um, uh, a command, a little extra force in the command. So the Torah needs to urge the Kohanim because you have to remember the Kohanim did not get paid for this. The service in the Beit HaMikdash They work for free. I mean, the Quranim could go into business, they could do other things, but they volunteer their service to the Beit HaMikdash. So therefore, they have what's called chesron kis. I mean, there's definitely a loss of money from their standpoint. So whenever a person is losing money, you need to urge him. You need to, if there's money to be made, you don't have to ask him twice go run to do the job. But if there's no really compensation, so then already you need to push a person to do things uh, gratis. Now, I have to point out, the kohaneen do get something from the korban, ola. The ola was a korban that all the meat went on them as So they didn't get any of the meat, but they did get the hides. That means the uh, the leather. Now, although they're getting the hides, it's really not enough to make a living. And it's not that significant. So therefore they referred to the service of the kohaneen as hasron kis as a, a job that incurs a loss of money. So that's why they needed to be <coughs> commanded to do it. So the Torah then says, Zot Torah Ta'ola. So this is the Torah. This is the, the law of the Ola. Uh, and it comes to say, the law of Hikter Halavim V'Evarim. The law says that all the korbanot that were brought during the day. At night they don't bring any korbanot. You're not allowed to bring korbanot at night. The only the is only open for service of new korbanot during the day. However, at night they would burn the fats and the bones and the limbs of the korbanot of the previous day. So there was a fire on the mizbeach the whole night. It just it was the it was the burning of the of the offerings of of that day. Now, there's another law that, that she comes along and says that Now, there's certain animals do not qualify for a korban, especially korban ola. And that's if the, if the animals become invalid. Now, how would an animal become invalid that you would not be allowed to bring it for a korban? So that she says uh, through bestiality, and God forbid if somebody did something inappropriate with the animal, so then these animals are considered uh, pisulin, they're considered uh, invalid and they cannot be uh, put on the uh, mezbah. So they're disqualified from, from, from the answer, therefore, like we said, it cannot be used. And now the Torah says, The Kohen will then wear his midobad, uh, that's the, the tunic, which is made out of linen. That's the pants that he wears on his flesh. Now, what does he do in the morning? So now we're going to talk about the first service that the Kohen does every single morning. It's called now listen to something beautiful. He will uh, raise the ashes. That the fire consumed. The offering. He should place the ashes on the side of the mezbah. So first the Torah comes along and says that the Kohen has to wear his garments. So number one, he wears midoban. He wears a ketonet. Ketonet is like a uh, a tunic, like a shirt. So, what does it mean? mido? Mido literally means his size. And from here we learn that the clothes of the kohen should be fitted. You know, she should not wear them too tight or too uh, too long. They have to be fitted. Midobad. Al besaro. And his pants are on his flesh. And from here we learn that there's nothing separating between the pants of the kohen, the garment, and his and his flesh. And it says, So every morning the Kohen would walk up to the Mizbeah, and he had a shovel. And he would take a shovel's worth of ashes from the interior part of the Mizbeah, where all the ashes from the previous night's Korbanot were there, and he puts them on the eastern side of the ramp. Which means the Mizbeah was here, let's say, and he had a ramp that used to ascend up to the Mizbayah. The ramp is called the kevish. So every morning the first service of the Kohen was to go up the ramp, go on the Mizbeach, take a shovel, take some of the ashes from the previous night, walk back down and put it on the, on the ramp. And we'll see exactly what he's gonna do with it. And then the Pasuk, Upashat Be'gadav, then he removes his garments, he puts on other garments, and he takes the ashes outside of the camp to a pure place. So that she's going to explain to us now what does he do with these ashes that he took off the Mizbaya? So the first thing he does is he takes off his garments. Now, the Torah comes and teaches us dedik edits. Why does he have to take off his garments and put on different garments? Because we have a a rule over here that the clothes that you serve with should be uh, different clothes than you cook with. Which means when you cook, the clothes get dirty. Dirty. (laughs) Therefore, you change those clothes before you go and serve. So therefore the same clothes that you cook with are not going to be the same clothes that you serve. with. so therefore the pasuk comes along and says he should wear other garments that are inferior to the to the first garments because now he's going to go and deal with the ashes and bring the ashes outside so therefore he has to change his uh, he has to change his garment and the Torah comes along and says, Again, the Torah comes along and says, he removes the ashes. What ashes are we talking about? Which have collected on the the, oven. No, the tapuah means the middle of the uh, mezbeah. There's a pile of ashes at the center of the mezbeah. So the Quranin would take away ashes from the sides to the center. So the ashes (laughs) are bound. In the middle of the mizbeach, and that mound was referred to the apple. We call it a tapua because it looked like an apple. It was, it was right in the middle of the mizbeach. You had all this, uh, these ashes, and it says uh, Kishihu had bet when there was a lot of quantity of it. The makom There was no room, let's say, to put it. in like I that was picture. I don't know if this is the right picture? Nisham. So he would remove them from there. The this was not a duty every day. So let me explain to you. There's two things over here. There's what's called teruma tradition and there's Hotza'at tradition Terumat is what he does on a daily basis. Every day the Kohen begins his day after Mode'ani. He goes up to the Mizbeach with a shovel and takes from, a, uh, from the Mizbaya's ashes and puts it on the ramp. That's done every day. Forget about that. We're not talking about that now. Now we're talking about from time to time when the ashes on the mishbeah would collect and they would just pile up and pile up so there was no room to put any more wood. Just like if anybody has a fireplace. (laughs) You know that after a certain period of time, you have to take the ashes out of the fireplace. Otherwise, you can't put the wood. Now, you don't have to do it after the first or two, three times you use it because the, the ashes are small, but as the ashes pile up, you got to get, get rid of it. So from time to time, especially on the holidays when there was a lot of korbanot, then the Queen's got to do some maintenance. So he's got to go on to the mezbeah and he has to actually clean the uh, um, the mezbeah from the ashes that are going to um, pile up on the, the, uh, the mezbeah. So the removal of the ashes that we're talking about it is different than the raising of the ashes that we learned in the previous verse. Those ashes that we learned previously were put next to the Mizbeah. They were not taken outside of the camp. Now, there was a miracle that happened every day when the queen would take the ashes and put it on the ram, miraculously they would get swallowed in the ground. So, when you came the next morning, you didn't see the ashes there. So that was a uh, 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 you know, a miracle uh, that took place over there. However, the ashes of this verse, which were taken outside of the camp, so they were, uh, again, removed far away, and there was done, was done not on a daily basis, it was done, as we said, periodically. Now the Torah says, We have a law that says that the fire on the Mizbeach must never stop burning. It must continue to uh, burn the entire night. <clears throat> now, how is that, how was that that possible? Which means once in a while, you're going to run out of kurbanot. So how can it burn the entire night? So the Torah comes along and says that they would add extra kurbanot on the mezbeah just to keep it constantly burning. That's called <laughs> the Qurbanot of Kayitz Hamizbayah. Now we read as she says, <laughs> that's the kurban, that was brought every single day. Uh, that was brought in the morning, as we said in the afternoon. And now it says <laughs> Now the law is that once we bring the afternoon korban olah, we're not allowed to bring any additional Qurbanot. That's the last korban of the day. That means the first korban of the morning is the morning olah, and the last korban of the evening is the olah. So those are at the bookends. And all the other Qurbanot are brought in between. And that's what it means when it says, which means, the rabbi has learned from over here. Aleha, that means, Hashlem kol ha-Kurbanu kulam. Mikan shelo yeh davar me LeTamid le tamit shal There's nothing that you're allowed to bring after yes. the afternoon Korban. That's the last Korban of the day. And then the Pasuk says, Esh tamit tukala mesvehach, lo tekbeh a constant fire must burn on the Mizbeach, and it must never be extinguished. And it <laughs> says, Esh ne'emar batamid. Which means the uh, the menorah would also be lit from the Mizbeach. They would take a fire from the Mizbeach in order to light the menorah. Like, the menorah, it says, Ner tamid. 24-hour candlelight. light. And the mizbeach, it just says also the word eshtamid. So the word tamid is used by the mizbeach and by the menorah, and that comes and teaches us that they would take a fire from the mizbeach in the tonight, morning in order tonight. to light the menorah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the pasuk says, "Lo tikhbeh, we're not allowed to extinguish it. And from here the Gemara learns that anybody that God forbid. Extinguishes the fire from the Mizbeah, maybe he puts water or something like that. He transgresses two negative commandments. Wow. So that means what the Pasuk says over here lotikbeh Lotikbe is a negative commandment and it says it in the both Pasukim. You'll notice over here if you look at Pasuk, you see something interesting. If you look at Pasuk six, it says, hey. it says up. Pasuk five. The pasuk also says in pasuk five lotechbe. Mm-hmm. It word twice to come and teach us that it's a double transgression if anybody comes and ex- extinguishes the uh, the mezbeah. So again, uh, the uh, the lesson over here we learned two things over here tonight that are that are significant. <laughs> Number one, we learned about the two maintenance jobs that the Queen had for the mizbeach. Again, I will repeat so you don't make this mistake. One is called tirumat hadeshen and one is called hotza'at addition Tirumat addition is the daily service where he just takes a shovel's worth of ashes and puts it on the ramp and it disappears miraculously. And then from time to time, the Queen has to make a general maintenance of the mizbeach he's got to clean the tapuach. The tapuah is the mound of ashes that gathered in the center of the mezbeah, and he's got to take it outside of the camp in order to keep the mezbeah, uh clean so they can put new wood for the following day. That should be pointed out that the Torah does tell us that we must bring a korban ola in the morning and in the afternoon. It is the last korban of the day. It stays on the Mizbayah the entire night, and the Kohanim work for free, and that's why they need to be urged. That's why the people stab in order to urge them, And even though they're not getting technically compensated for their work, that they still should serve the uh, Avodah with great diligence and uh, alacrity. Okay? So there you go. We did something. Baruch Hashem able to come back. And learn these shuri for the of life talk Tomorrow I will pick up. coming from our Deal uh, Studios tonight. Uh, we're continuing. Here, what I show you. And we're continuing our study of the uh, parasha. So we're in Sav. Uh, nobody said that the Book of Yehi'qra is an easy book. Um, some schools actually they skip it. They don't teach Yehi'qra. Uh, because um, it's just uh, it's just a uh, you know complicated book. Okay, a lot of sacrifices, a lot of stuff that really doesn't apply today. But you know we accepted to learn the parashiot uh, as they come. You know we're going to take the uh, the good and the better. So now we're up to parashat We learned these classes for the for Hashem sh'ar Yisrael. Amen. And we start today at Pedek Vav Pasuk Zion. So it's chapter 6 and it's Pasuk number uh, 7. And we read Vizot Torata Mincha. Okay, so now we're going to start to learn about a type of sacrifice that's called a Minha. Now what is a Minha? Minha, unlike a Korban, Korban is a uh, yeah, an animal that they bring on the mizbeach. Minha is a meal offering. So it's primarily made out of flour. We'll see they add some oil. There's a certain spice that's called frankincense. And we'll see exactly what they do with this, uh, with this mixture. But it's called a, uh, a minha. And as she says, that all menachot have basic ingredients. Shemin, which is olive oil, and lepona, which is this uh, frankincense. Okay? Now, there is a difference between a menha that a Yisrael brings, meaning a non-kohen, or a menha that a kohen brings. Let me just give you some introduction. That Normally when a Yisrael, a non-kohen brings a menha, so the kohen takes this meal offering, and with his hands, with his fingers, his three fingers, the three... Little fingers here, he scoops up from the uh, from the flour. That process is called kometz or kemitza. <clears throat> and after he scoops up from the flour, he puts that on the mezbeah. That belongs to God, and then the rest of the mincha is called the notar, the leftovers. That becomes the food of the kohen. He gets to eat it. Now that's normally when Israel brings a korban, there's a Kemitzah, goes on the Mizbayah, and the rest belongs to the kohen. <clears throat> but as she points out, that if a kohen brings a minha, it's kalil toktar. Kalil toktar means that the entire minha goes on the Mizbayah. There's no uh, there's no kibitzah. So that would be the uh, would be the difference. Okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> now, the Torah says, The children of Aaron will bring the Minha in front of God. Now, what does it mean they will bring it close to the Misbeah? So the Halakha says that the Misbeah had four corners. So the Kohen has to take the the, the uh, receptacle that had the Minha in it, and he goes to one of the corners and he taps the receptacle with the uh, on the corner. Now, which corner? Now she says the southwest. Okay, southwest. That's called Keren Dirumit Maarabit. Now it says, "How do we know that it's southwest?" So that she says beautifully. Look at the pasuk. It says, "Lefne Hashem." In front of God, to the front of the Mizbeach. Now, where is the holiest part of the Beit HaMikdash? In front of God, that's the west part. Because when you walk into the Beit HaMikdash, you're walking from east to west. So the west is closer to God, meaning in the Holy of Holies. So it says, that's how we know west, but it also says, to the front of the Mizbeach which is the south, because that's the uh, side that the queen walks up the ramp. He walks up the ramp on the southern side of the Mizbeah. So therefore, had he have in front of the Mizbeah, in front of God, that would be southwest. So he goes to that corner on the southwest, the front of the Mizbeah, to the west, and that's where he puts the mincha. Okay, beautiful. Now, the next passage says, Fine. And the Kohen will take with his fingers, we said the three middle fingers, comets a, um, a portion of the menha, from the flower, umishamna and the oil. The de Bona and the frankincense, Ashra Minha, and what does he do with it? And he will place it on the And this will be a satisfying aroma for God. When that aroma of the Minha goes up, it as if to say satisfies God. And the uh, Rashi says. That the place where the Kohen has to scoop it up from is from the place that's the most oily. So that she says from the the part that the oil is mixed in good. Now, how much flour is in this mixture? It's called an Esaron. Uh, Now, what is an Esaron? Eseron is literally a tenth, right? Right. So Good. So now let's do some math for a second. Asiri a tenth of an efa. Now, if I'm not mistaken, an efa is four hundred and thirty. Uh, eggs. It's a big nefas, big shi'ul. So asirita, if I do one tenth, which would be forty three. So that's forty three eggs, which is not not a small amount. Yeah, no, no, no. that's the full measure of the minhag, and then he scoops from that asirit So it's a it's a nice uh, it's a nice size, uh, by the way. Which is, by the way, it's the the the, the, the halakha says. That would be the same weight for a hala when the ladies bake hala it has to be let's say that same uh, that same she 43 eggs which is about three and a half or four pounds so it's a nice, <coughs> it's a nice dough. So therefore if you take the word hala hala is chet number chet is eight is 35, 35 and eight is 43. so that's how you know so it's the same as 43. So therefore, you have that uh, you have that shiur. Actually, to be precise, it's forty three and a fifth. But the point is, that is the shiur of how much flour you're going to have in this uh, in this mixture over here. Now, the et kol lebona shulam min haabektiyeh kit ketat lebonatar lachar kemitzah matiro lefi shelo pireskereh la b'hadna mahod be'mekra. Now, interesting, it seems that the frankincense is not mixed into the minhada. She said. They see that they make kemitsa from the flour and the oil, and they take the frankincense on the side. So she says, Shimmelakitana Then after the kemitsa is done, he takes the bona, the frankincense, and he puts it on the on the mezbeah. Okay, now let's continue. Now, what do you do with the leftovers? There's so much dough left flour left. Ador and his children get to eat it. Now, how do they eat it? As is. No. So the, that's a very good question. So the Pasuk says, Matzot They turn it into Matzot. So they bake it. They don't bake it into bread. There's no bread. The, 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 primarily, the bit, the is kosher for Passover, mostly, all year long. Mostly. Again, I know we have the showbreads, but the showbreads were also not Hametz. The showbreads were Matzah, because... You had to put the showbreads on the table on Pesah also. So they weren't really made into hametz. And even the minahot most of them, except one, which we'll see, they were made out of matzot. So they would take this leftover flour and they would turn it into matzot. And they would eat it in a holy place. And that's uh, very good. Look at Lo <speaking in> hametz. <Hebrew> You're not allowed to make it Hametz Halkam. That means not only are you not allowed to put Hametz on the Mizbaya, but the leftovers that belong to the Kohen, you cannot either make it Hametz. You could have argued and that belongs to the Kohen, he could do whatever he wants with it. No, even his share can only be made Matzot. And then the Pasuk says, What did that for me today? You saw a similar passage that the minahot are like the korban. The qurban khatat and asham. What does this mean over here? So it depends. Sometimes we have a type of minha that's called minhat chote. That means if somebody sinned, so they need atonement. So one of the ways they get atonement is they bring a minha for atonement. Now, one of the laws of bringing a korban hatat, you must bring it with the right intention. But if, let's say, the kohen has the wrong intention at the time of scooping the uh, the flower, just like a korban hatat is no good if it was done with the wrong intention, a minhat chote is also invalid if it was done with the wrong intention. So that's what it means it's compared to a hatat. And then you have a, another type of menhah that's called Minhat Nidaba. The person wants to donate. He didn't necessarily make a sin, but he's supposed to the and out of his own goodness of his heart, he wants to donate a nidaba So therefore, the law is that even if the Kohen scooped it up without the right intention, it's kosher. When it's a hatat, you have to have the right intention. Meaning for who you're bringing it for. But it's a nidava. even if you had the wrong intention from somebody else or whatever it may be, it's going to be kishina. So sometimes it's like a hatat that needs good intention, sometimes it's an ashab, and the intention doesn't matter. So, how do you know when you're bringing the bull, or bringing you need a bull for a hatat? Yes, so, so let's say a person cannot afford a bull. That's the problem. As they cannot afford it. So, if he cannot afford the animal, he'll bring you a meal also. That's right which means you don't bring the big animal, you bring the smaller version. Hashem says the main thing is not what you bring, it's your heart. So therefore, the rich guy can afford an animal, he brings the animal. The poor guy can't afford animal, he brings Now, let's finish it over here. The males of the family of Aaron are able to eat it. So let's go one step at a time. The first thing it says over here, All male kohanim are allowed to eat the leftovers of the minha, even kohanim that have blemishes. A kohen that has a blemish cannot serve. It's called the ba'almum. But a kohen that has a blemish can eat the minha. That's what it means. And the Pasuk comes along and says that let's say you have this minha. And let's say it's hot, you just baked it in matzot and you place it in another bowl. We know that when you place something hot in the bowl, the bowl absorbs that item. So, therefore, whatever you're going to place it in is going to become kadosh as well. So now you have the minha in the in the vessel. And then you have to kosher it. Because you're not allowed, if you're let's say after a certain time, you can't eat the minha. So therefore, if you're going to cook food in there, the minhah taste is going to come out into the food and make the food no good. So therefore, the person exactly, you have to in hot water or purge it. And so therefore, that's what it means when it says, "Call a shared Whatever the minhah touches, the yikdash will become holy like it. And therefore, the food will become like minhah food. You have to eat it with the stringencies of minhah. Okay, we had enough. <laughs> At least we learned a little about the minha. It's definitely some uh, some hadushim over here. May shim one day when the Bet will be rebuilt, we were able to see this actually uh, in action. And just one point over here that I saw. Uh, he comes along and he says. Exactly like, like we learned southwestern corner of the altar. Okay, these classes are studied again. The and Mahaya Sarah Matsubha. The few pesukim that we know with Pirushara nonetheless is although qualitatively or quantitatively it's a small amount, but qualitatively it's a big, a big inya, and then we should have the Fuashara <laughs> make as we do every night, and we're learning uh the Fuashara Mahaya Sada. But Zmcha, Edna refan alab betoch shar chodrei Yisrael. Amen. So we're learning tonight, chapter six, and we're up to twelve. Again, Perek Vav pasuk yud bet. When he diber Adomayn Moshe and the pasuk says. Now we're going to learn about a special korban. A korban that was brought by Aharon. He was the high priest. He's called the Kohen Gadol as well as his children. Now Aharon is called Kohen Gadol. He's the high priest as we say. And uh, his children are called Kohen Hedyot. They are the the regular Kohani. Now, the the law that we're going to learn tonight is that when they start their service, which means on the day that they're inaugurated, they must bring a special korban. Uh, That's called the korban of hinukh. Inukh <clears throat> means of inauguration. Now, there's a difference between a regular Kohen and a Kohen Gadol regarding this inaugural korban. The Kohen hadiot, the regular Kohen, just brings it once on the day of his inauguration. <clears throat> but the Kohen Gadol actually brings it every day. So the Kohen Gadol must bring it every single day. That's what that she comes and tells us. And what is it? What is this korban? So ze korban haronu b'anav, asher yakribu laHashem, Hashem, that they will bring to Hashem, biyom mashach Oto on the day of their inauguration. Asiri ta'efah, solet minha tamid So one-tenth of an efah, <clears throat> So one-tenth of ifah, so we learned, I think we said it last night, it's about the size of 43 eggs. Uh, that would be, let's say, each egg is about two ounces. So about know, 80, 80 ounces, 85 ounces of, <clears throat> of flour. You could you could switch that into grams if you want. And you have over here um, asirita v'solet min tamid. And what type of minha is this? It's made out of flour. Mahasita baboker. Mahasita That's referring to the kohen gadol. He brings half of it in the morning and half of it in the the afternoon. And the Torah now is going to teach us how you make it. Al-mahabat. It's made in a pan. With oil. So it's fried basically. Murbekit. <clears throat> Murbekit <clears throat> <clears throat> means it's scalded, which means they pour hot water over it. Almost like they do a bagel where they put it in boiling water. So here they actually pour hot water <clears throat> over the Mincha, And then the Torah says, Tufineh hot Now, What does tofine mean? <clears throat> they bake it over and over again. That means after they scald it with the hot water, they bake it now in the in the oven. And after they bake it, they fry it in the pan. What a complicated way to make a make make, a, make an item. Normally, how do you make your bread? You just put it in the oven, and you bake your bread, finished. This over here. Is a uh, few items are done to it. Number one, they have to scald it. That's with the hot water, and then they bake it over and over again. That's two name and one afiya. And after they bake it, then they fry it. They fry it in the in the pan. And then what do they do with it? It says minhat pitin it's a meal offering of crumbs. Now, what does that mean? So not that they actually have to crumble it up, but that she says, koflal be'koflal They basically fold it in half and then into fours. So they fold the loaf up. vertically and horizontally. The enum of the you don't have to separate it, <clears throat> and that's the way you put it on the nizbaya. So it's a whole uh, procedure over here, and that's the way the Kohen basically is taken like a loaf. It, it's not hametz like we learned last night, you don't make hamits in the beta midash. It's, it's like a matzah, but it's a soft matzah. You ever see the soft matzah that the people eat? So that's what this looked like over here. We just said it was fried as well. And they folded it up and they put it on the thezbaya. Takrib reyak ni howah hashem and it brings a satisfying aroma to Hashem. That kohen hammashiyah tahtav mibanav yase ota hok olam na hashem kalil toktav, Which means <coughs> if let's say you have a kohen who's a a regular Quen and he becomes anointed to become a Kohen Gadol, gets upgraded. So then on his day of upgrading, he has to bring one of these as well. These are all inaugural um, Korbanot. And remember we learned last night that we talked about a minha that you do kimitsa. Let's review last night. We used to take the minha, the queen would take his middle fingers, the three fingers, and scoop it up. And he would put that on the mizbeach. And then the leftovers he would eat. That's a regular minha, But the minha of, well, thank you. The minha of a kohen. We have a coffee break. One second. So now, but the minha of a kohen is the Torah refers to as khalil tokta, the whole thing goes up to Hashem. <clears throat> There's no leftovers. In the regular mincha, he scoops up a little, puts it on the mizbeach, and then the leftovers belong to the kohen. When it comes to the inaugural inauguration mincha, after they make this bread, they put the whole thing on the mizbeach. Khalil tokta, the entire. Uh, Minha is brought up in smoke on the Mizbaya. For that matter, any minha that a Kohen brings, even if the Kohen is bringing a voluntary minha, Khalid Tiyeh lo So, Abu you learned a very important Torah law tonight. You're learning that anytime a Yisrael brings the Minha, there's Kimitsa, and then the Kohen gets to eat the leftovers. But when a Kohen brings the Mincha, they don't do that. They put the whole thing on the Zbeya. So that's an important distinction between a regular minha and a minhat Kohen. <clears throat> now let's continue. Ber Adonai, <inaudible> Now we're going to learn about the korban hatat. Now, what is korban hatat? A sin offering. Now, we don't relate to this. I mean, we relate to sins. People are still making sins. But in the olden days, when a person made a sin, by mistake, unintentionally, he would have to go to Jerusalem for example, let's say on Shabbat, uh, by mistake, he turned on the light. He forgot it was Shabbat, let's say. So therefore, he made a sin. We're not talking about a guy that does it on purpose. He does it on purpose, he doesn't bring a the korban. There's a different There's a different penalty for that. Guy on Shabbat, he made a mistake. Sometimes you wake up you forget that it's Shabbat, he turned on the light. After he turned on the light, he said, oh, Shabbat today. So now he's got to go to Jerusalem and bring an animal called the korban hatat, and this korban is being brought for the unintentional mistake of Kiddush Shabbat. Told you how severe Kiddush Shabbat is—that you have to bring a, a korban to atone for an inadvertent transgression of Shabbat, but not only Shabbat, any of the of the mitzvot. I'm just giving you the example. Now, in the place where now in the Beit Hamikdash we don't relate to this. Different, different type. The Beit HaMikdash is different than any shul you've ever been in. You went to the Beit HaMikdash, there were animals all over the place. Because that's what people were doing, bringing sacrifices. And in certain areas, you had to slaughter. You can't just slaughter it in any spot. So the Torah says that the Korban Hatat is slaughtered in the same place that the Korban Ola is slaughtered. In front of God, and it is, of course, holy. Now the Torah says, One of the things about the Korban hatat is that the Kohen gets to eat from the meat of this animal. So the Kohen that does it, that actually you know, brings it up. He performs the service, so it becomes his. And he gets to eat it. So long as he's, you know, fit. Of course, if he becomes impure, then he would not be allowed to to eat it. It's only talking about where he is ultimately pure. That's what Ashish says. Now, Oh, wow. Very good. Yeah, that's okay. It's very good. Excellent. Okay. Now, where does he eat it? It's in the courtyard of the Mishkan. Yigdash, that any item, any food stuff, she says, that actually touches the uh, the meat and gets absorbed by it, so all of a sudden now you have a piece of hatat in this food. The hatat is kodesh, so that food becomes kodesh as well. Like we learned last night, <clears throat> you have to be worried about absorption because the korban hatat has a holy status, so anything that it touches and it gets absorbed into it will become like it. And therefore, you have to treat it with the same stringencies. Now, the Torah says, So here it says that if, let's say, they sprinkle some of his blood. On the garment. Now you don't have to sprinkle the the blood on the garment. Normally you sprinkle the blood on the mizbeach, but let's say some of the blood got sprinkled on the garment. Let's say. So that spot where the blood is, as she says, you have to launder it inside the courtyard of the Beta because the blood of the hatat is holy as well. So you can't just send it to the dry cleaners. So that's a very, very important point as well. Now let's have a case. This is for the ladies that prepare for Pesah. Pesah is right around the corner, as you know. The Torah says they had to cook the hatat. It's a piece of meat. So they would cook it in earthenware vessels. Now, what happens when you cook something? The earthenware vessel absorbs from the korban hatat. Now, What's the way you kosher an earthenware vessel? You can't. Okay. Very good. And Mars, that, that, that's not a lady's answer. That's a man's oh, answer. Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. Absolutely you're correct. I was expecting the ladies who are experts in Allah to know that answer. The rule is you cannot kosher ceramic. Right. Because once it, the Torah tells us, and here's the person we're going to learn it now. Ceramic absorbs, but does not let out. Once it absorbs it, it stays in there. So, for example, you would never be able to kosher a ceramic pot for Pesach. Oh, yeah. I, don't you dip, I don't care if you dip it in the Haga'ala waters a hundred times. It's never going to get all the uh, absorption out, because it's very porous, the Kalichairis. When we make ha'gala, we make it on metal. Or, or glass is the opposite. Glass doesn't absorb at all. That's why glass is uh, very, very good. Glass is the most kosher. Clear glass I'm talking about. The old timers, I'm not recommending this, but the old timers used to have one set of dishes. Glass, clear glass. And they used to use it for meat and for dairy and for pub Not at the same time, of course. Because the rule is that clear glass... Doesn't absorb. Now, Baruch Hashem, today we can afford to have separate dishes, and that's that's obviously much better. But we're talking about now that they used to take the korban khatat and cook it in earthenware. Now, after they take the korban khatat out of the earthenware, there's Qurban hatta in this in this pot and the walls, and it's going to stay there forever. So, what does the pasuk say? Look at pasuk 21 you have your humashim in front of you, an earthenware vessel in which the Quran Pata was cooked. What's the next word? Yutats, must be broken. Right. It doesn't say yutats. It says, you shaber in my humash. But right. it's yes, okay. You, your humash thing has to be corrected. The Chumash really says the word Yeshaber, which means it will be broken. So that's the way you purify it. You gotta break it. But as she says, why? Now, what do you have to break it for? Because the kurban hatat meat can only be eaten for a certain amount of time. After that, it's forbidden. So the absorption that's in this pot over here after, after the uh, expiration of the khatat is up, it becomes forbidden. So you have forbidden absorption in the khaliharez and you can't get it out. You can't use it again. Because what's going to happen if you use it again? The absorption is going to come out into that food and the absorption is forbidden. So therefore, you can only have to break it. However, the im bichli bushala if you cooked it in a copper vessel, So then, what do you do with that? So the Torah says, umorak. It should be scoured. What does scoured mean? I guess it means to clean. Don't you know when you scour something? Now, very nice uh, siman we have tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that she quotes a pasuk from Mikilat Esther that we're going to read tomorrow night to show us what this word umorak means. Morak means to scour, to clean. By Queen Esther, it says when they had the beauty pageant, it says the women were given or they went to a place that was called Tamrukeh al-Nashim. What is Tamrukeh al-Nashim? So literally, Tamrukeh is referring to the cosmetics. So I guess because the purpose of cosmetics is to scour the face of the lady, the body of the lady, so they call it Tamrukeh. It's cosmetics that they put on their body. So Umorak means, not that they put cosmetics, but they scour and clean the pot and then umorak the shutas. You have to rinse it le et vidi in order to expel its absorption. Again, how do they do that? They do it with, with hot water. Avalra, she says, there's the famous law kiricheres uh lemitka sheeno yotze mid dofyo leolam. The vessel does not ever leave the grasp of its defect, because only absorbs and does not let out. So this is the law of ha'gala actually, that we are hitting here. Now we have two more pesukim. Kol zakhar kohanim yochal ota. Who eats the korban hatat? Mel kohanim. Okay? So that's it. Only the male Kohanim. So, number one, the one that did it, he gets to eat it, the one that served it, but he can also give it to the other male Kohanim as well. As long as he's worthy and not impure, the Kohanim get to eat it. The chatat asher bakodesh lo ba'esh tesarev. Uh, we have over here um, a certain korban hatat that becomes invalid. For example, they sprinkled the blood in the wrong place. There are certain laws where you sprinkle the blood. Normally you sprinkle it on the outer mezveah. But if they made a mistake and sprinkled the blood on the wrong mezveah, on the inner mezveah, it is invalid. And therefore, It cannot be eaten. It must be burnt. Now, because this is technical stuff, I just want to go back and ask three questions for comprehension just to see if we're wasting our time here or not. I don't think we are, but I'm going to ask three questions of comprehension to see if what I said here tonight from the Torah was absorbed into your brains like Achilles I hope it was absorbed like an earthenware vessel that it gets absorbed and doesn't leave the first question i'm going to ask you is tell me the process of how an inaugural mincha an inaugural mincha flower offering that was brought by a kohen on the day that he was inaugurated what was the process how they baked it what did they do Make it, it. Yeah. Don't, don't be embarrassed, exactly. That's exactly what they did. Exactly, Jacob. Very good. They took the flour and the water and they put it in a pan and they scalded it with hot water first. And then after they scolded it in hot water, they baked it over and over again. And after they baked it, they fried it. Very good oil in a pan that's called a machabat. That's the first question. Well, give the credit that you got it right, even though I said most of the answer. Okay. Now we will say the second question. The second question is what is the difference between a regular Kohen and a Kohen Gadol? Regarding this inaugural Minha, huh. oh, you're wasting my time over here, Drake. Oh, sorry, I don't know. I think people are under pressure to answer in front of a lot of people. That's all, it is. all right. I'll give the answer to that one the regular coin accountant. Tell me again. The regular Kohen can't participate in it. It's left for the Kohen Gadol. So the answer is the Kohen inaugural Minha is brought whether it's the Kohen he or Kohen Gadol. The only difference is the Kohen he brings it once on the day of his inauguration and the Kohen Gadol must bring it every day. That's the Minha Kohen Gadol Habitin that's brought on a daily basis basis. Okay, that's the second question. And, uh, I got it right. So, <laughs> I guess that's... I'm two for two so far. and I guess I'm part of the class, so so far we're doing okay. I'll it's ask the bad. third question. I'll ask... Thank you. I'll ask the third question. I'm not hopeful based on the first two answers, but nonetheless, we'll ask a third question just in case somebody might have absorbed something here tonight. What is... Law of a korban hatat regarding if the kohen cooked the korban hatat in a copper vessel, what must they do to that vessel? They wash. They have to scour it. Ah, it's the key word. They have to boil it. There Rinse it, it you go. It. There you yeah. go. Ah, everybody's waking up all of a sudden. Yes, the scouring. That's the right word. If Torah says, they scour it and they boil it to get the korban hatat absorption oh, out. Mm-hmm. Something that you could not do by an earthenware because, again, like we learned, it doesn't let out. The What's earthenware happening? vessel must be broken. But since copper is metal, it would work. Okay. There you go. Another Feel better, Rabbi.